too, I also, I keep an open door policy. So all of our employees can bring ideas to the table. Um, you know, I think, why, why can't someone have a good idea just because they are, you know, making $15 an hour, whatever that pay scale is. I mean, I... Welcome to the Building to Scale podcast, where we bring real entrepreneur stories that showcase the challenges and successes in building and scaling an entrepreneurial business. Our host, Jeff Chastain, has a long entrepreneurial history himself, having started and run multiple businesses. Today, he is the founder and CEO of Admentis, where he uses the entrepreneurial operating system to bring clarity to business leaders and provide the foundation they need to successfully scale their business. We believe that some of the best sources of information and experience for growing a successful business are our entrepreneurial peers. Stick around until the end of the show, and we will reveal how you can become our next guest on the show. Welcome, everybody. Jeff Chastain here again with the Building to Scale podcast, where I get the opportunity really to speak with entrepreneurial business leaders and influencers, really hearing their stories and sharing their stories of both challenges and success as they were able to grow their business to where it is today. So today with me, we've got Vina Jetty of Vive Funds, who is actually a steady growing real estate investment firm, which if the time we're recording this right now, we're rolling up on the end of 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. So the fact that we've got a, a growing real estate firm in these days is, is quite impressive kind of a thing. So uh, Vina, first off, welcome to the show and give us a little bit more background here on the company and how things are going these days. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, you know, like you said, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So uh, it's been really interesting trying to figure out how we pivot and how we sustain and continue to grow when there's so much uncertainty and volatility in our field. Um, and so we just closed on an $80 million deal in the Atlanta submarket. Um, it was a joint venture deal with uh, Vi Funds and Blue Lake Capital, all female-led teams, which I was very excited about. Um, but we bought a 494-unit apartment building, and um, project's doing really well. I think uh, one of the big things for us, and it's probably true for most industries, is you can't just stop doing business because there's a pandemic, right? So now we are just shifting our strategy and changing kind of our core fundamentals of how we're targeting new projects or how we're targeting our growth uh, to fit today's market. No, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of companies pivot these days and, and have to pivot, whether it's yeah. restaurant industry or whatnot, obviously the move to online Zoom meetings and all that kind of stuff. Yep. So backing up a little bit, tell me kind of a little bit about more of your backstory. How, how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so I always like joke and say I took the shortcut into real estate. Um, so my mom is actually a very successful real estate investor. Um, she started a company 30 something years ago now. And now both my parents are retired early from their real estate portfolio. But um, I started my own company back in 2012. Um, my husband and I, that was the year we were married actually. And the first year we paid joint taxes. And I called my mom and was like, mom, they just took all this money out of our tax return because we're married now. And she said, yeah, look at real estate has a lot of really great tax benefits. Um, so my husband and I agreed. I left corporate America, started my own company. And um, today I have about a little over 400 million in my portfolio. And so it's been steady growth over the last several years. And it's been a great time for real estate in general. But this pandemic is where I think we're kind of starting to see some shift in who can really sustain and survive this. But 
Um, yeah, so that's how I got started. I, I come from a real estate family and then taxes was kind yeah. of like a match made in heaven. So. <laughs> so obviously starting the firm uh, 2012, you said, so about eight years ago to now, what, what are you looking at in terms of, is, it, is the firm still you or is it, obviously it sounds like you've got much more of a team behind you here. Yeah, well, actually, so it's gone through many iterations over the years. So Vive Funds is actually like a brand new venture I just launched this year in the middle of the pandemic. Um, so I actually, my company that I was working with primarily right before this, and I'm still working with them. I had two partners there. Um, we still work together on a daily basis, but um, I launched Vive as kind of like a side project where I'm the only partner so I could like make my own decisions. So um, obviously I got to skip a lot of the startup phase because I'd already done this so many times before, um, but I've actually been able to scale it in a way that's totally controlled by me as the decision maker. And I mean, I love my partners. I just, I'm, I really like making decisions without having to ask anyone for permission. So, um, you know, it's worked out really well in that regard. So yes, it's, uh, it's a different iteration. I have more of a team, but now my team is more, uh, under my direction versus having partners that I'm collaborating with. Makes sense. So curious, cause a lot of people have that kind of split off business venture. I went through that one actually a couple of times myself. What was the, the driving factor to say, hey, we're gonna go, I wanna go start something on the side, start something new here. Yeah, um, so I think actually COVID was a catalyst to that. Um, you know, my partners and I, we'd been working together for years and, you know, obviously it's not some kind of like contentious or dramatic story. You know, it's just um, during COVID, I had a little bit of a different idea of where I wanted us to be acquiring real estate and where I was comfortable signing my name. Because I'm, I'm one of the partners that invest in every single deal alongside of my investors. So if someone's writing me a $100,000 check, they know that I have my dollar right in there alongside of them. And that's very important as a principle for me. Um, and I'm the most investor facing partner. And so in acquiring assets, I you know, there were certain markets I just didn't really like the fundamentals or I wasn't sure. A lot of it was uncertainty of how that market would actually do. Or um, in our current markets, I thought some of them were markets that we should start kind of holding back on to kind of see and get our feet back under us after COVID had kind of like run its course through at least a little bit of, you know, a couple months or a few cycles or whatever. Um, so in that, I, you know, I don't want to hold my partners back from doing projects that they want to do, but at the same time, they didn't want to push me to invest in deals that I wasn't comfortable with. And so rather than, you know, tarnish the name of the company we built together by expanding the you know, the narrow focus we had and rather than like forcing any one partner to do something they're not comfortable with and forcing another partner to, you know, hold back from something they want to do. Um, we thought it was a good time to kind of allow each of us to go out and start our own side project, if you will. Um, so my partners went and they acquired um, an asset in a market that we aren't currently in. Um, it's a beautiful property. It just it wasn't within my personal um, preference for where we are. And so, you know, I, I think they're going to do great on it. I think it's going to be a really wonderful project because they're really great um, at what they do, but it's just not for me personally. And same with this Atlanta project. Um, you know, it's not a market that we've historically operated in. And so it was an opportunity for me to go out and do that on my own. No, that makes sense. And it's, 
a lot of what I'll typically work with companies on is defining what that vision, what that core focus is on that. So it's, it's good to see that, Hey, yes, you've got that target to say, okay, this is the type of properties. This is the type of, of focus that our, our company is going to have, or my company is going to have obviously differentiating and there's nothing wrong with, like I said, your other partners going a different direction. They may be perfectly successful. It's just not necessarily the, the core focus you are, you're, you're interested in, or you're, you're seeing your, your direction in. Right. And it's a matter of opinion, right? Like none of us actually know what's going to happen in any of these markets. It might be the most successful market in the whole country by the time this is all done. But it's just my personal thoughts on like how I've always, you know, operated in the real estate space and just my experience that's lending to my, you know, different viewpoints. But there's money to be made in every market. So it's not like you're going to go to any market and someone's not making money there. Yeah. And I'd tie on to what you just said there for a second. The, it's Yes, it's experience with entrepreneurs, but it's also looking at history, looking at actual data and stuff like that. So you're not out there just saying, hey, I like Atlanta. Let, let's go. Let's go. Invest yeah. in Atlanta, kind of a thing. <laughs> I wish I was that good, but I'm not. Unfortunately, we have to pay several hundreds of thousands of dollars for access to great data points. So yeah. Yeah, when you're when you're talking about that much money, you gotta gotta be careful on how you're investing it for sure, yeah. and, and do your homework first because it it's, right. it'll be easy to lose it for sure that way. Exactly. So, tell me, um, what, when you're talking about leadership being in your current company, previous companies, kind of a thing, where do you think that uh, talking about change and pivots right now, where do you think leaders really struggle with making those changes or recognizing that hey, we need to make a change now or things like that? What yeah, I think once you're like, you, once you've found something that works and is really successful, it's really hard to kind of break out of that mentality because uh, it gets comfortable, right? And I think that's actually the problem with most people in trying to scale too, is you have to do things that are like a little bit uncomfortable and you have to be willing to be in a position where it's almost like as an entrepreneur, you're like restarting all the time, you know, like right when you start your business, you're working like 150 million hours a week and you're, you know, I, if you're anything like me, you're like worrying, like, what did I put my family through? Like, are we going to be able to eat tomorrow? Like, do I have to sell everything I own? Like, you know, that's just, I think part of it, every entrepreneur I've ever talked to has shared something similar in their trajectory. And I think when you're trying to like, every time you're trying to scale to that next level, you're kind of like going back to that, but it gets less uncomfortable or less um, it's like less intimidating to do it because now you've done it so many times, but you are still going back to that. So a great example is actually with launching Vive. Um, my first project there was 80 million. By comparison, every previous project I've done has been somewhere around the $30 million average range um, with 50 million being the largest. So this is almost triple the size of the average project that I was doing. And yeah, I mean, it was definitely difficult because even though it's, it's the same thing, it's just at such a massive scale, it's managing a lot more moving pieces. Um, you know, and I, I don't think I slept for the last three months, um, you know, so thank God for like good makeup and Zoom filters. But I think that that's actually what is harder for industry leaders that is being able to recognize that a change is going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to feel normal, but it is necessary to get to that next level of whatever you're building. Yeah, no, it's, and that's the thing we look at is like, yes, obviously today's a pandemic that's global wide, not trying to 
minimize the impact of it, but business is going to face changes no matter what. It's like well, with your, I'm, I'm not a real estate person, so I'm stepping in the wrong area here, but I, I assume markets are going to change. Markets are going to go up and down that Atlanta may go up, Dallas may go down kind of a thing, vice versa, that things are going to change within that. So even, even at that realm, or even just as simple as a, a key employee moving on to a different venture or something like that, things change in, in business on a regular basis. So I, I don't know that any business is necessarily immune to that. That's definitely true. I mean, the pandemic, I think, has been a catalyst for a lot of people um, to affect change because they're being forced to pivot. Like the restaurant industry, for example, right? Like how many of them overnight turned into delivery service, curbside service, um, you know, takeaway meals to like cook at home service. Like there's just been so many quick, innovative pivots. But I think that's actually what defines an entrepreneur that's going to survive, right? Is the ability to pivot quickly and figure out how to keep your business, if you're not thriving, at least surviving through a very difficult patch. Because what one thing we do know is this is temporary. This It feels like it's been a hundred years that we've been in this pandemic, um, especially if you are socially distancing the way we are. Like, And I'm a total extrovert, so this is like really hard. And and I tease my sister, who's an introvert, you've been preparing for this your whole life. Like, this is your time to shine. Um, but, you know, so I think that like in, in doing that, it feels like forever, but it's not going to be forever. It's going to be for realistically on an investment horizon, a very short period of time comparatively to a whole investment life cycle. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, it's on, on one hand is we're sitting at middle of November kind of thing now. And I look at it and say, how in the world did we already hit November? But at the same time, looking back, this has been an incredibly long year. So <laughs> I'm like, how is it still 2020? How is it still the same decade that we started at this year? Yeah. But, but yeah, here we are at, a, at the end of another year. So looking yeah. at that, um, looking forward, you're saying, yeah, it's short-term investment. What, what's your vision? What's, what's your, what do you, what do things look like for your company here and say even another five years or further out? You know, it's funny you're asking me this because I was just having this conversation with my mom last night because now that she's retired, you know, I have like a great sounding board and I have like an unofficial board of directors, right? And so she was just asking me, she's like, so what's the goal in five years? And it's hard for me to say because I feel like there's so many directions that we could be going in and I think any one of them might be acceptable to me. Um, so what I actually do is I like to set like core focuses that I have for my business. Um, so for example, the biggest core focus that I have is um, being like an investor centric company, right? So um, I like to think of what I'm doing as kind of like the white glove luxurious experience for my investors. And that's what I actually relentlessly focus on along with, you know, the types of projects and the types of projects. I don't know what they're going to be in five years because I'm, it's going to have to change. If I, too static in any one area or not agile enough in any one area, then it's going to be, you know, an issue with being able to continue acquiring through life cycles of real estate in general. And so I don't know what it looks like yet in five years. I know that it's still going to be multifamily focused. Um, I know that we are going to keep focusing on like what our investors are looking for. We don't go for like the home run. We're hit like a solid double, um, you know, that's kind of our bread and butter, our core competency. And I think we do it well. And so I think we continue doing that and steadily growing. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm in my early 30s. So I have a little bit of time before I have to retire. But, um, you know, I, eventually what I'd like to get to is being more on the strategy side only of the company, like 
right now because it's kind of still getting its legs under it in a new company. I have staff, but I'm also like, you know, the admin and I'm my janitor and I'm my, you know, marketing person and my chief investment officer. So I wear a whole lot of different hats, which most entrepreneurs do. Um, but eventually I'd like to kind of hire a CEO, have them running the company. And then I'm on like a board of directors and driving the strategy and vision of the company. Yeah, it makes sense. And yeah, to your point, most most entrepreneurs find themselves, and I'd, I'd say even in the, the small market category kind of a thing, a lot of times companies I'm dealing with, they're, they're wearing multiple hats. So <laughs> along those lines, I, I don't know if you've been through this before with the other company, but what point do you figure out, hey, this hat's holding me back or that hat, do you have them walled up enough to find to figure out how you, how do I start diversifying this out? Because that's where I see a lot of people struggling with as well. Yeah. So if you it's funny because I think that that was kind of one of the things that my partners and I had competing priorities within the company. Um, so I, because I was investor facing, I always wanted to invest into the investor experience and I always wanted to invest into software, investor portals. I wanted to have hire people that could just make that experience more, you know, that white glove service. So um, the first thing I did when I didn't have to ask anybody else for permission um, was I actually started hiring for that. So like I've hired admins and I've um, invested into a really great software platform, um, which my investors don't know yet, but by the time this comes out, they'll know about it. Uh, but I am rolling that out. Um, I just signed up for it this week. So it's like very new, but you know, all the data migration, everything's happening. So um yeah, I think I do. And I know I've actually started hiring like teams of underwriters and acquisition specialists. So I've actually rapidly hired. So what I've done differently in this company than I've done in the past is rather than try to bootstrap and like save every single dollar or take every single dollar to use towards like marketing or something like that, I've actually um, invested into the company and like the stability and growth of the people, the human resources of the company. Yeah, that, that one's key because, and granted, it, it depends upon the industry. If you're in a, a manufacturing or something, you've obviously got infrastructure there. But yeah, really investing back into the people just to, because there's so much of your own resource at that point. It's, it's like I said, you lose that key employee, especially if you don't have it diversified enough, that can be a, a major hit on, on any company right there. Yeah. And I think small businesses are more susceptible to that too. And so, um, you know, and I've had companies before this that, um, we have lost key employees and it's tough because it starts becoming a burden on you and you're so busy trying to keep up with running the business. It's hard to kind of fill that position again. Uh, so it's kind of like trying to balance that fine line of doing both. Yeah. Uh, you're probably in kind of a, a unique standpoint to answer this question. Cause I always want to say, okay, if you were to go back and talk to yourself five years ago or whatever, what, what's tips, what strategies, what yeah. lessons learned would you say? And you're, you're kind of already, in that you're you're basically doing that reinvention right now. But what what kind of what kind of lesson learned have you, have you are you taking from the previous venture into this one? To obviously making your own decisions there is one of the highlight points. But still, what what are you what yeah. are you taking forward to say? Hey, I can do this differently now that different from the first time around. Yeah, I think um, right now what I I'm actually not being afraid to like really reinvest those dollars where I want to see them. Uh, working in the company. I'm also outsourcing everything I dislike doing, but I'm just doing to have, because the company has to run. Um, so I'm outsourcing a lot of that. Um, I'm also actually being a little bit more slow to bring people on board. So even though it sounds like I'm like hiring rapidly, which I am, um, I'm not hiring the first person necessarily that fits the description. I'm being very meticulous and cautious. 
And I think the biggest takeaway for me is, um, so previously, like I said, I had partners, but now what I'm doing is I'm actually kind of holding all of my equity to myself right now. And I'm really conserving that equity, which is very common in, you know, the startup world, like the tech world, right? Like you raise around and you do angel investing. And so you are giving equity out. Um, so right now I'm fully self-funded. Um, and so I'm maintaining the equity in the company. I may bring on strategic partners, but for right now, I'm trying to do it with more of an external structure than I've done previously. Um, what I mean by that is like, for example, this Atlanta deal, rather than bring on, you know, partners in-house to do a deal like that. Um, you know, I've JV partnered with somebody that I've partnered with many times before. She's been great to work with. And so now we did like a JV structure, which means I get to keep all of the equity in my company and still maintain and drive that vision and keep that control over the company. Um, and I think that was kind of, that's actually the biggest change that I've made is by not giving up equity in the company. Yeah. And I see that, especially in the tech world, but yeah, in a lot of companies that it's, it seems like people are, are too quick and, or too maybe risk averse to say, Hey, I don't want to put anything of mine in. Let's, let's risk somebody else's is money. But at the same time, from a, a longer term perspective, like you said, you lose a lot of that control, you lose control over that vision, your direction there. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like once you have investors in the company at the company level, it changes because now you're answering to somebody. Um, and look, I answer to my investors on a project level all day long, and it makes sense there because of our model. But so actually it's kind of unique because like I have kind of both pieces of that, right? Because at the property level, I take investors right away and almost all of my equity goes out the door. Um, but then on the company level, at the corporate level, I'm maintaining my equity there. Um, but yeah, to your point, like oh, I see a lot of my colleagues or especially like my successful like tech company friends that have given up so much equity out of the gate because they needed funding. They have a very high burn rate or, you know, whatever is happening in their industry, they need to expend those dollars. For me, um, you know, I had very minimal spend. So I actually was like very tight on the purse strings until we had revenue coming in. So pre-revenue, we didn't really burn through a lot of cash. Oh, and that still makes sense. That's that's a obviously a personal as well as business kind of goal there. Make sure you got money in, money out kind of a thing there because otherwise you can run out real quick. It's Yes. <laughs> then you have to take equity in the company or you have yeah. to take equity investors in the company. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely key. And again, it, it just still goes back to the idea of data, making sure that you know where that's going, make sure you're tracking all that kind of stuff there. Because that's that's one I, I unfortunately see too often is, yeah, we've got money in the bank, so we must be okay. It's like, no, that's really not not a good indicator, not a good picture there. You need need bigger picture. So the, the idea of keeping the equity, keeping the ownership there is, is, like I said, not possible for everybody all the time, but still very, very key if you can. Yes. If you can, you should. And there's obviously situations in which it's just not possible or it doesn't make sense necessarily. I mean, there are times where it makes sense to give equity up. Um, you know, I have, a, I have another like side project that I'm doing and um, I, it's just now getting its legs. And I have, I actually have a partner there because it makes sense for me to take a partner there. Um, but one of the things we're doing is we're reserving a percentage of the profit as like almost like an equity split um, for the employees as the company scales and grows so that they have a path to ownership in the company. Um, and so that's kind of one of the things that we really wanted to do just more from like a human humanitarian standpoint than anything else, but also because it's something important to us. And that's how you keep good talent. No, it, it makes sense. And yeah, 
having that it's, it, there's a financial side to the employees, but still just having them invested into the company, having them be a part of it rather than just there for a paycheck is, is where I see a lot of the ones, the, that's the company that's really going to move forward. That's the company that's going to survive in these kind of times because, hey, if you do have to cut back on the payroll or whatnot, they have a more invested role into the company rather than just being there for the paycheck and saying, okay, well, somebody else is going to offer me a slightly better paycheck here. It's, it's, so it's building that, that culture is, is key. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I think that's something that's really overlooked by a lot of entrepreneurs is the culture that you want to build at the company. Um, so like for me, my anyone that comes to work for me knows that like I will always treat them fairly. I will always treat them better than anybody else will, regardless of the pay. Like I actually don't even focus on the financial side of it, whether I pay you, you know, $100,000 or $500,000 or a million dollars, it doesn't matter. Um, I will always treat you with respect. I will always treat you in a way that makes you want to work with me, number one. Um, but number two, I also, I keep an open door policy. So all of our employees can bring ideas to the table. Um, you know, I think, why, why can't someone have a good idea just because they are, you know, making $15 an hour, whatever that pay scale is. I mean, I, I think we should take ideas from everywhere and everyone. Um, so we keep an open door policy. We treat them really well. Um, you know, they, it makes it very hard for them to leave to go somewhere else because now they feel like this is something that they're doing with me. And they also know, like, if the company is struggling, I take the first hit. I don't eat. I eat last every time. So when I do eat, I eat very well, right? Because I am the owner of the company, but I also don't eat first too. So it's that, that trade-off. So my employees know, like if the company's going through hard times and maybe we're not doing bonuses or whatever it is, they know it's not because I'm, you know, flying on a private plane somewhere. They know it's because the company's really just not doing well. Um, so after everybody is taken care of ahead of me, that's when I then get to get my cut of the business. Yeah. I love that idea. So Take one more question here. We're starting to go a bit long, but um, from a, a transparency standpoint, how do you how do you view transparency in the business in terms of various aspects, or how would you rate yourself kind of on a a one being strictly need to know versus ten open book everything kind of uh, approach from a, a company's transparency standpoint? That's a good question. Transparency to whom? In internally or externally? Uh, to some degree, both, but I'd say more internally, kind of a thing is to how, like extending on the conversation you were just having there with with employees and numbers at least. Yeah, um, I don't overload anybody in the company with information that's not really pertinent to them. Um, if someone asks, I'm actually pretty transparent about it because I want them to know the financial health of the company. I want them to know the plan and that this isn't just something I'm like making up as I go along. Like I actually do have a plan. I am following a plan. I'm pivoting. Um, so I'm fairly transparent, maybe like a seven um, because there are certain things that they don't really need to know. Um, as far as like, for example, our investor information, like that is all under lock and key to me. Like they don't get to know like socials or any of that stuff. Like that doesn't go on anybody else's desk. Um, and we, we take security pretty seriously. So that's also a part of it. Um, but then we also like, if they want to know, Hey, like what's the next project, what's in the pipeline, they can absolutely know that. Um, what does it look like? What's the profit on any one project we're doing? I have no issue with that. Um, and then, you know, externally with my investors at the project level, we're very transparent. We're like a nine or a 10. Um, and the only reason I would say we're not a 10 is because sometimes things happen so quickly that we don't like proactively necessarily share it, but it's not like some secret. It's just 
something happened, it was taken care of and we moved on that by the time the update comes around, it's like obsolete. Um, but yeah, we're open there. We, I send out financials on a quarterly basis to my investors. Um, so they get financials, they get a monthly update on what's happening on their asset, the asset level. They know like how many units were renovated, what our rents are doing, occupancy, all of that comes to them monthly. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're talking about new projects and stuff like that. Cause I'll see too many companies that are not necessarily, like you said, they're not, it's not that they're not willing to share. It's just, they don't proactively. And, and again, that's, that's an area where you, you start to get more of that employee buy-in to say, Hey, I, I know we're on a plan. I know we're going somewhere here. And again, where, where I fit into that kind of an idea. So it's not that they're, they're operating in the dark on a paycheck kind of a thing. You're, they're actually feeling part of that and, and saying that, yes, you know what you're doing. You're, you're not, making this up on the flyer. Hey, tomorrow, let's just change direction here just for work. Right. <laughs> right. All right. So yeah, like I said, we're running a little bit long. So just uh, recap back on where you were kind of a thing. If people are looking to look, get more information about you or more information about the company, if they're interested in, in real estate investment, how do they, how do they find you or where can we get some more information? Yeah. So you can find me on my website, vivefunds.com, B-I-V-E-F-U-N-D-S.com. Um, or you can find me online. I'm on like, you know, all the social media under Vina Jetty. Um, but yeah, if you want to schedule a call or you want to see what we're up to or see our offerings by funds.com. All right. Very cool. And sounds like things are going well. So hopefully, hopefully that continues here in the next few years. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully we can get under, out from under this. So yes, no, I think we will. So thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. And I enjoyed the conversation. So thanks like, again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Building to Scale podcast. If you would like to share your entrepreneurial business growth story, please visit buildingtoscale.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you do both us and our guest a favor and share it on your social media accounts? Don't forget to hit subscribe in your player so that you don't miss any future episodes and make sure to reach out to Jeff Chastain on the social networks. To learn more about what we are doing and how it might benefit your business, check us out at admentis.com. Thanks again for listening.